Hello, this is Landon. Hello, this is Monique. And, and here we are. Oh, again. In and the summer. I know. Finally, at least in our part of the world, it is summertime. Oh, yeah. I guess some people some people listen from the other part of, part the, world, of the world where it's middle of winter. <laughs> but Sorry. here, finally, it's summertime here where we are. Now, if this is your first time listening. What are we going to talk about today? Rejection hurts. Rejection hurts. It does, doesn't it? But you were going to say if it's their first time listening. Yeah, I was going to say that if this is your first time listening or if you're a long-term listener, you know that most of us or we get most of our ideas from our clinical experiences. Right. So I I was seeing a patient recently um, in the emergency department, a 42-year-old male who had a kidney transplant 20 years ago, secondary to an unexplained acute kidney failure. Um, and I, I can't remember exactly what happened, he, and he couldn't really tell me. He had come to the emergency department because he and his whole family had gastroenteritis. The reason he had come to the ED that day was because it was the third day that he couldn't keep his anti-rejection drugs down. He looked clinically very well, slightly tachycardic at 102, blood pressure 112 on 60, respirations are 16, and his temps 37.4. He was given a CTAS-4, despite the fact that the triage nurse had written that he had been unable to keep his anti-rejection drugs down. And understand that he didn't come in saying, I have vomiting and diarrhea and I'm dehydrated. He said, I can't keep my anti-rejection drugs down. That kind of made me wonder if the triage nurse had not recognized the seriousness of missing anti-rejection medications. And yet another podcast was born. Yeah. So I am sure that this topic of organ transplant is near and dear to Landon's heart as he once worked for the BC Transplant Society as a donor coordinator. Yes, you may be wondering if Landon has seemingly done every job under the sun. You may say he gets bored easily. I thought you were going to say it's near and dear to my heart because you've requested that I have a brain transplant. (laughs) No, not quite. All right, well, let's talk about anti-rejection medications. So... They are called that or immunosuppressive drugs is the other name you'll hear it. And what they basically do is lower the body's ability to reject a transplanted organ. Mm -hmm. So I know in in Canada we use CTAS or the Canadian Triage and Acuity Scale and immunosuppressed people pretty well with anything going on Mm -hmm. are a CTAS too. Yeah. And an urgent or emergent situation. situation. Yeah. Because they just don't have the ability to mount the same textbook defenses that the rest of us do. Absolutely. Um, So with our, even missing a single dose makes it more likely for the patient to reject and possible loss of that transplanted organ. And these are not easy things to come by. And especially someone who's had a kidney for over 20 years, it's definitely important to preserve that organ. Exactly. It's interesting to note that despite immunosuppression medications, 10 to 20% of patients will experience at least one episode of rejection. Most rejection is actually mild and easily treated by making adjustments to medications. So it's not like mm-hmm. this, this trap door opens out and the body just poops out the kidney and that's it, it's done. It's, yeah. it, it's a, a slower process that starts to go and it obviously is a point of no return, but we can typically intervene early. Rejection Rejection. I know. I don't know what's wrong with you. Rejection occurs most often in the first six months after transplant, and the chance of rejection decreases with time, though rejection can occur at any time after transplant. And and we both work at the Organ Transplantation Center in our Mm -hmm. area, and and it is, you know, once a year you'll get that person who comes in that it's a 30-year kidney and no real 
can't figure out why, but now they're in rejection. Yeah. And it's always a strange mystery. Exactly. And it is something that I think it is a little bit. I need to say it was near and dear to your heart. And when we have our transplant society coming in every Christmas to bring us gifts, it you are reminded again how it saves people li- people's lives and it makes a difference in their lives and they're so grateful all the time so it is important that we recognize that it, rejection is a real a reality for them and even though it's been 20 years that we need to think wow they're trying really hard to keep this organ and themselves alive mm. so I, I guess we would be remiss it's, yes. it's not in our notes oh if we did not encourage people yes. to register as organ donors. Absolutely. I can't yep. believe we didn't think of that I know, until I my spontaneous <laughs> thought right now. I did think about it. but uh... So those of you need, all of our listeners need to actually go online. It is the age of the internet. You have no excuse to not know how to get on the internet. Um, in fact, you're listening to us on the internet. Yes. So you obviously have internet access. That, That's true. That was kind of a dumb comment, wasn't it? Maybe you do need that brain transplant after Apparently all. Apparently I do. You need to go to your jurisdiction and figure out how to become an organ donor. If you've got a driver's license that just says organ donor on it, I can pretty well guarantee you definitely in Canada that, but in most jurisdictions, that's actually not good enough anymore. Uh, You actually need to basically sign a pre-consent. And a lot of it can be done online now. Some of it you may need to scan and email something with Mm -hmm. your signature and and your ID, but come on, go through 30 seconds of pain so that you can actually maybe, uh, if anything were to ever happen and you be, are a candidate for organ donation, mm-hmm. that it, it's actually there already and your family's not having to deal with it. Absolutely. And understand too, um, certainly from our hospital where we don't only see people who are gaining those transplants, but the people who have right. unfortunately um, expired and it is quite a comfort for a lot of their families that there is a legacy that their family member's death was not in vain that there is actually some kind of legacy to that so i absolutely agree with landon so so we never ask for money for our podcasts and we've actually never asked for anything no but but i ask we're now going to ask you to take five seconds after these podcasts and go on the the magic google machine yes and say uh, your province or state or country and registering as an organ donor. And Absolutely. I know in British Columbia, where we are from, you can do it online and it takes about 30 seconds. So no excuse. Exactly. Anyway. So going back, we got, let's should, get off our should, soapbox I usually here. get on a physiology soapbox. Yes, but, but this was quite something. We, this let's was a both social step thing. Down. Okay, I'll get let's off. Let's both step down right at the moment. So okay, let's go, go back ahead. to talking about rejection episodes. Most rejection episodes do not have symptoms and they're usually just picked up through routine blood work however if symptoms do occur the most common signs of rejection are flu-like symptoms fever of 38.5 celsius or 101 fahrenheit um, for those of you who are still using that system decreased urine output weight gain pain or tenderness over the transplant and fatigue We all recognize that organ transplants are life-saving, but finding well-matched donor organs can be difficult, as we've mentioned. 
People, patients must also take immunosuppressive drugs for the rest of their lives to keep the immune system from attacking the transplanted organs. But the side effects of these drugs make patients more susceptible to infection and may also boost the risk for diabetes, cancer, and other conditions. So really, scientists have been searching for new ways to train the immune system to tolerate organ transplants. Perfect. Now, a lot of what we've learned in medicine, especially in immunology and things over the mm-hmm. years, have been with twin studies. Yeah. And interestingly enough, there, there's some research that started that is based in twins. Yeah. And so interestingly, isografts, or these are grafts between genetically identi- identical individuals, uh, undergo no rejection. That's quite amazing, isn't it? Yeah. It sort yeah. of makes sense, right? You have yeah. the same everything, so same you've DNA, got the same really. everything in yeah. the end. Some sites, such as the eye and brain, are what we call immunologically privileged, which means they have minimal or no immune system cells and could tolerate even mismatched grafts. Which and is that's why eyes why and corneas. corneal transplants. Yeah. And, and look at meningitis, right? At the blood-brain barrier, you, your immune system can't get to your brain. That's why meningitis is so bad. Exactly. Not that it's related to transplants at all. But, yeah. but they are. They're immunologically privileged. On the other hand, heart, kidneys, and livers are highly vascular organs Mm -hmm. and can lead to vigorous cell-mediated response in the host and are more susceptible to rejection. Makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, they're just, they're sloshed in the blood. And and people may think, well, the brain is sloshed in blood too, but it is, but it's very, there's uh, there's that barrier there. Exactly. Um, And it's just the glucose and oxygen moving across, not really the blood sloshing around. Exactly. In the research field, when you talk about preventing rejection, Dr. Suzanne Idstadt's name is often mentioned. She's a professor of transplant research at the University of Louisville, and her research has been directed to induce tolerance to organ transplantation, mostly kidney and heart, and actually even to treat non-malignant diseases such as diabetes and sickle cell disease and treat autoimmune diseases like multiple sclerosis. In 2012, there were some small National Institute of Health-funded clinical studies that have shown the potential of infusing donor bone marrow cells into transplant recipients. The marrow, as you all know, is home to blood-forming stem cells that generate a variety of immune cells. In some patients, this technique temporarily created a chimeric fusion, which is a fusion protein, and I think I said it wrong because Landa just... Smiles, chimeric. chimeric immune system, and chimeric is a fusion protein. So it's, um, it's so funny I said that wrong. It it mashes everything together and makes exactly. a fancy protein. I know. There you go. It's a combo of both the donor and the recipient cells within the body. For a time, these patients better tolerated the donated organs and survived drug-free. The idea is to dampen down the patient's bone marrow enough to make space for donated marrow and a sort of twin immune system takes root. Now, this isn't a bone marrow transplant for leukemia. No. This is, here's your kidney. And? And we're giving you some of the kidney donor's bone bone marrow marrow so that your immune system becomes this fusion immune system. Right. That's cool. It is very cool. In one of the studies, the scientists led by Dr. Suzanne Ilstead set out to create a long-term chimerism. Thank you. Chimerism in kidney recipients. The organs came from unrelated or highly mismatched donors. Eight patients had pre-surgical treatment with chemotherapy and radiation to partially knock down their own immune systems. A day after transplant surgery, they received infusions of a complex cellular cocktail derived from the donor's bone marrow. 
The mixture included not only bone-forming cell stem cells, but also rare graft-facilitating cells. And these cells were actually first isolated by Ilstad nearly 20 years ago and are thought to help foreign stem cells get established in recipient bone marrow. The researchers also removed donor immune cells likely to attack the transplant recipient's own body. This type of immune attack, called graft-versus-host disease, is a common and sometimes deadly complication of bone marrow transplant. So, as reported in the March 7, 2012 issue of Science Translational Medicine... Sounds exciting. I know. One month after transplantation, all eight patients had a variety of immune cells derived from the kidney donor in their bloodstream. Within a year, five of the eight patients had achieved long-lasting chimerism with the donated immune cells eventually crowding out the recipient's own immune cells. Well, that's kind of mean. No, it's a good thing because by then, these patients had stopped taking immunosuppressant drugs and their transplanted organs continued to thrive. None of the patients showed signs of graft-versus-host disease, and the ultimate hope is to allow transplants even when donors aren't a good genetic match, which we said earlier how difficult it is to find matched organs. So if this works, that's like throwing the whole window open for not needing to have exactly matched organs. So these studies have led several hospitals testing how to combine kidney transplant with bone marrow transplant from the same donor in hopes that a hybrid immune system lessens the need for lifelong anti-rejection drugs, which makes people certainly much more susceptible to lots of different things, and also less attention on having to find a good genetic match. Hmm. This is all kind of important when you think of some of the stats on organ transplants. Uh, In 2013, 246 Canadians died waiting for organ transplants, and kidneys are absolutely one of the most needed organs. In a 2016 study, even though organ transplants overall rose by 23% over the last decade in Canada, 4,600 patients are currently waiting for transplants. With the need for organ transplantation increasing, it really means that we as health professionals need to understand signs of rejection, be vigilant to the importance of ensuring patients to take their immunosuppressive drugs, and be actively involved in supporting and educating our patients and our community in the importance of organ transplantation. And it all starts with us registering for organ donation. Exactly. So we'll try to not keep harping on our soapbox, but I agree. Please register for organ transplant. Understand about or educating your patients, your community, um, your hospital, support organ donation processes within your hospitals. And certainly Mm -hmm. when someone comes in who has had an organ transplant and is immunosuppressed, make them a CTAS 2 and get them seen and and keep them away from all your other sick people. Exactly. And keep the thought of rejection high because as we told you those symptoms were really about colds and things right so you do have to think is this a differential diagnosis of rejection well that was a shorter one it was this month but kind of interesting yes so keep up with the new research keep up keep up with new research it's always very fascinating 
All right. Uh, talk to you next month. Yep. Bye. Bye. For past episodes and to comment on this episode, please visit our website at nursum.org. That's N-U-R-S-E-M dot O-R-G. You can follow us on Twitter at NursumCast and also find us on Facebook at Nursum Podcast. We look forward to your comments and suggestions for future episodes. Remember, before incorporating anything new into your work, ensure you are supported by your own scope of practice, workplace policies, and your own knowledge and comfort. The Nursum Podcast is brought to you by PRN Education, www.prneducation.ca.